0: Any more announcements we need to make, Cliff, now? What well, about you, Sarah? Are you okay? you happy enough? All right. You've all announced your pumper hamper is full and overflowing, is it? And okay. Need some more? Take more? That's it. All right. We're going to receive the offering. We'll do that. Turn with me, please, to a little book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll just read one verse at this moment. Ephesians 1, and we'll just read verse 18. Uh, This is Paul's uh, first recorded prayer in Ephesians for the Ephesian church. He said that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. There are many who say that Paul's epistle to the Ephesians is the jewel in the crown. Of all the epistles that he wrote. It certainly is the one epistle that you ought to read the most. There are many great epistles, of course, but there's just something special about the letter to the Ephesians. And it's very easily divided into three sections chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. If you could put a heading in that it would be uh, The Christian's Wealth. Chapter 4, chapter 5 is the Christian's walk. On chapter 6, the last chapter is the Christian's warfare. And then speaking about the Christian's wealth uh, Paul here speaking about our spiritual wealth that we have in Christ he is very careful uh, to single out two inheritances and he makes a distinction between the two. First of all uh, in verse 11, our inheritance in Christ. It says, in him we also have obtained an inheritance. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? But then in chapter in verse 18, chapter 1, we just read together, opening text, It says, What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? So, two inheritances here. And of course, we are more familiar with our inheritance in Christ. Uh, We have experienced that and are experiencing our inheritance in Christ. We're growing in it every day. We know more about it every day. We have experienced the joys of sins forgiven. We know that we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, we know that our names are in the book of life, Uh, we know that we have been justified in Christ, that we have been sanctified by Christ, that we have been redeemed through Christ, that we are adopted in the family of God, and all these wonderful blessings that has been given to us in Christ is our inheritance and much, much more than I have just said. So all of that and more is our inheritance in Christ. But what, I ask you tonight, is His inheritance in us? What does He get when He gets us? What does His inheritance look like when it's you and me? I think that it's incredible that the Father God should give His Son us as his inheritance, imagine for a moment that you got a a letter from a solicitor, and in that letter he stated that you had come into an inheritance, an estate had been left to you by some unknown relative that you'd never met in your life, and in that letter, there was a, a map and details on how to Go and view your estate. So you get into your car and you drive. You eventually come to your estate and you look at it and your heart sinks. The roof is caved in. The foundations are crumbling. Every window is broken. The doors have fallen off. The once beautiful manicured lawns is overgrown with weeds and briars. And you look at it and you think, is there anything worthwhile in this? Is there anything redeemable, even remotely redeemable, about this estate? Well, that's what God gave his son an estate that was broken, that seemed to be irredeemable. Would it be worthwhile, him coming from the glory to suffer on a cross? For an estate like that, like you and I. It's remarkable, isn't it? We were ruined, broken, wretched, poor. And yet that's the very estate that the Father gave to His Son. Apostle Paul in chapter 2 of Ephesians he elaborates a little bit on this. and shows us what we were really like. First of all, in the first three verses, he tells us, first of all, that we were dead. And you who made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead. Dead as the proverbial dodo. Lots of celebrities today, and I can't quite grasp what they mean by this. They talk about, I'm a spiritual person. They live like the devil. But they say, I'm a spiritual person. Whatever that means. could mean anything to anybody. The Bible says, no, you were dead in trespasses and in sins. Ephesians 4.18 says that we were alienated from the very life of God. A great gulf fixed between. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, The God of this word blinded the minds of those who believe not. Blinded our minds. We were blind spiritually, dead spiritually. So Paul's given us an idea of what kind of estate that Christ inherited. Spiritual life begins in Christ, does it not? If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things are passed away, all things have become new. Then he said we were deluded. We were deceived. He made a lie, you he made alive, you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the deceiver, the one who deludes. Compare verse ten of chapter two. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That was ever God's original plan that we would walk in good works in Christ. But we were deceived and we were deluded. And instead of walking in good works in Christ, what did we do? We walked according to the course of this world because we were deceived and we were deluded. And we did not walk in God's ways. Not only that, in verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul says we were disobedient. He talked about the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We were just rebellious, weren't we? No, we probably, our pride wouldn't let us like to think that we were rebellious, but actually we were. We didn't obey God. Most of us had no interest in obeying God. We didn't want anybody to rule our lives. We wanted to run our own lives. Why should God, this being. If there was a being somewhere, why should He rule our lives? So we just live whatever way we wanted to live, and we were just living in abject disobedience. We were disobedient children. This is a disobedient planet we live on, isn't it? It's only planet in God's great creation that has shook its fist at Almighty God. Not only that, it goes on to make it worse. He says, we were depraved in verse 3 among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. <laughs> gets worse this image, doesn't it? Not a very good estate, is it? We're in bad shape, aren't we? Not now, of course, but we were in bad shape, weren't we? Not only that, we were damned. Damned. That's what it says there. We were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. What does that mean? Well, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. So there is a world that the wrath of God abides on. And that's what we were like too. Doomed, without any hope in this world. John three thirty-six, Ephesians 5, 5 and 6. There's so many scriptures you can read to show that and to prove that. Now the marvel of all this is, is this is what Christ inherited. This is what he went to the cross for. But the wonderful thing is that when he looked at us and he looked at that estate, he didn't see it as it was, he saw it as it could be, was going to be, by his grace and by his mercy. And that's the wonderful mystery of godliness. That he should look at us in all of our sin and rebellion and disobedience and depravity and all that sinful stuff. He looked at us and he said, I can change them. I can make them a new creature. I can give them a whole new life. And later on, if you come up to the convention tonight, you're going to hear a wonderful testimony of somebody whose life was totally and utterly changed by the power of God. We talk, about, we talk about trophies of grace. It's a lovely old quaint phrase, isn't it? You don't hear it very often today. People give their testimony they were a trophy of God's grace. And we are. We truly are. In Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, Paul tells us that which we just read that's what we were. Verses 4 and 6 of Ephesians 2 tells us what we are. But God, who is rich in mercy. The word rich there is Plusius, which is where we get the word Pluto from. Pluto was the God of wealth. So God, who is wealthy in mercy, who abounds in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? He starts out telling tells us what we were, now he says, but this is what you are in Christ. And then in verse 7, he goes further, this is what we shall be, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's going to take all the ages of eternity to expand and to show us all of his marvelous riches of grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. The mind boggles, doesn't it? The mind boggles what he's going to show us that we don't already know and has never seen, that I has never seen. It's marvelous. And in verse 8, this is how it was all made possible. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't it marvelous, isn't it? You know, when you, when you take the simple truth of the gospel message and you strip it down to those little factors, it is absolutely marvelous and astounding that Almighty God should give His Son us as inheritance. Sinners, wrecked lives, ruined lives, without any hope, bound for lost eternity, going to hell forever. And yet, in His great mercy, the Father gave Son, us as inheritance. The Son took us because He didn't just see what we were, He saw what we could become in Him. So it's lovely. And so we are, believe it or not, hard as it is to take in, we are Christ's inheritance. And Christ is so richly, so wonderfully. So powerfully and so gloriously and so abundantly glorified in you and in me since we get saved. (laughs) That's how Christ manifests His glory through us. He holds us up and says, Do you want to see my glory world? There it is. Look at it a changed life, a ruined life that has been saved that now glorifies God. It's wonderful. Look at verse six. See many times it says this. In verse six, it says, "To the well, read verse five. Having predestined us to adoption by sons by Christ Jesus to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Note this: to the praise of the glory of His grace. Do you realize tonight that your life now?" is to the praise and to the glory of His grace. God glorifies Himself through your life. Every day you live in this world as a believer, shining your light for Jesus, God is glorifying Himself through your life. You are to the praise of His glory. And that's His inheritance in you. And then, in verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Paul's making sure we understand this, that we get it. He's repeating it. Uh, Down there in, in verse 14, again. Talking about the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Three times he uses that in just a few verses. So he's constantly reminding us that we now as saved, born again, redeemed believers, that God received glory in his Son through our lives on earth because we are to be the praise of his glory. Amen. Can somebody say amen to that? All right, good. Thought you'd fallen asleep on that. Of course, to receive an inheritance, you have to be entitled to it, don't you? Going to claim an inheritance, you need the title deeds, don't you? You need proof of ownership. You can't just walk up to somebody and say, That's mine, I'm going to claim it. Let me see the evidence, please. You got your papers? No? Clear off. Christ claims us as his inheritance. How can he do that? What entitles him to do that? First of all, by creation. If a man creates something by his creative genius, then it is universally recognized that is his. And if he wants, he can put his name on it. I think Last week, I think it was, we were celebrating, was it 25 years of the DeLorean car? That car that was in Back to the Future, in case you young people don't know what we're talking about there. Somebody's not even 25 yet. And he was so proud of it, he put his name on it. He had every right to put his name on it. He was the genius who thought about it. Too bad he built it in the wrong time, when there was a big recession in America, nobody wanted to buy it. Too bad. But nevertheless, he was a genius. In two years, from a greenfield site to producing cars to be sold in California with gull wings and stainless steel, never been seen before, he was a genius. And he could put his name on it. Nobody could take that away from him. Today we talk about intellectual rights. That's why there's copyright. If you write a song, you copyright it. Somebody tries to steal that. They're stating your intellectual rights to that because you're the person who wrote it, belongs to you, you get rights. Whenever we play these, show these uh, choruses and songs up on the screen here, we have to pay for the use of that every year. Got to pay a certain amount for royalties because we didn't write it. So whoever wrote it, they've got the intellectual rights, they, their names on it. And they're entitled to do that. And so God created us. And in John 1 and 3 it says, Christ was the creator Without him, nothing was made that was made. Amen. And in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth. Are you on the earth tonight? He created you. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and so forth and so on. You get the message. He can lay claim to us as his inheritance because he's the one who made us. He's the one who created us. He's the one who brought us into being. But of course sin ruined that inheritance. Sin destroyed it. Sin absolutely marred it. And we lost our first estate. So now the creator comes and dies on a cross and becomes the redeemer. Redeemer. You know, Lee and I was talking just before the service. You know, if you go to a nation that has never heard the gospel, never heard the good news, and you tell them the simple good news that God had a son and he came to this wicked world and he died on that cross to forgive all of their sins, that is the best news they have ever heard in their lives. And we take all of that for granted because we have heard that from our mother's knee. But it truly is good news that the creator of the ends of the earth became the redeemer of mankind. And it's wonderful. And so he can lay claim on us by creation, but also because he purchased us. If you buy something, if you purchase it, it is legally yours. It's your entitlement. You own it. Paul said, Acts 20, 28, feed the church of God which he has Purchase with his own blood. You were the most expensive thing in the universe. There was nothing in heaven and earth other than the blood of the Son of God could buy you. So no wonder he lays claim on you. It cost him everything to own you, to buy you, to purchase you. First Corinthians 6, Paul said, You are not your own because you are bought with a price. That's why we are to glorify God in our bodies and our spirit, which are God's. Peter says, For as much as you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from the vain tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, without spot or without blemish. And so he paid the full price Purchased possessions. We are a purchased possession, Ephesians 1.14. And Christ is the one who paid the price for our sins. Romans 7.14 says that we were sold under sin. Romans 6.16, that we were slaves to sin. And so Paul here gives an image of us in our lostness. In our lost estate, he says we were slaves to sin, slaves to Satan. And we were being sold in the marketplace as it were. Now you have to understand in those days, slavery was a massive, massive thing in every nation. And the Romans they didn't mean they just bought and sold slaves, like you'd buy and sell a car or buy and sell a horse. You were thought of no better or no worse. You were just chattel. And so it was a common everyday occurrence. People would go to the marketplace every day to see who could be bought today. Rich householders would go and see if there was some good stock in from some foreign nation that they could buy. And Paul says that's an image of us slaves to Satan sold under sin in the marketplace. And Christ, our Redeemer, had to come and pay the ultimate price To save us. Without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sins. And it comes to that word redemption. You know there's. And us being sold as slaves. There's three little words. That is used. When it comes to talking about that. First is. Agorazo. Agorazo. In the Greek language. Agora is the market. Still is today. So agorizo means to be sold in the marketplace. Second word is ax, agorizo, which means out of the marketplace. So Christ came and bought us in the marketplace to do what? To take us out of the marketplace. The third little word is latru, which means to loose and to set free to be emancipated, to be free. Now, we're free now to serve a new master. Hmm. We're free to serve a new master. Not like the old master. This new master whose burden is light. Different type of service entirely. Different type of master. A master who loves us, a master who's good to us, but a master nonetheless And even though we're friends, Paul says, I'm a bond slave. And even when he was imprisoned by Rome, he never called himself a Roman prisoner. He says, I'm the prisoner of Christ. He's my master. So, Christ can lay claim to us by creation and by purchase. And finally, by a gift. Sometimes a possession is simply the result of a gift. Somebody gives you a gift. It's lovely to get gifts, isn't it? It's nice. Do you enjoy getting a gift? are you kind of a strange, weird person who doesn't like getting gifts? I think we all like getting gifts, don't we? And it's nice when it's a big surprise, isn't it? Or a little surprise, but a surprise. Not expecting it, never thinking about it. And somebody just gives it to you. For no other reason than they just like you, just love you, just want to bless you and just give you a gift. And once you get that, it's yours. You and I are the Father's gift to his Son. John 6 and 37, All that the Father has given me shall come to me. Father says, son, I'm going to give you a gift. Hmm. And he gave him you as a gift. You're the father's gift to the son. Don't deserve it. Wonder why in the world he did it. Me, you, a gift to Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes. All that the Father, he says, has given me will come to me. Ephesians 1.14, who can understand this? We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. In John chapter 17, verse 2, 6, 9, 11, 12, and 24, six times in one prayer, Jesus made reference to the fact that the Father had given us to him. Father, I thank you that you have given them to me. And you read his prayers, a lovely prayer in John 17. Read it and read it and read it. And get it into your heart that you are God's gift to his son. And that's not to make us proud or arrogant or boastful. It makes us wonder and be amazed at the grace of God that God would do that and that the Son would receive us because we weren't much to receive. And thank God when he looked at us in all of our sin, and all of our ruined lives, he looked at us and says, I know what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to change them forever (sighs) because I don't just see what they are. I see what they're going to become. And that's the wonder and the beauty of the grace of God, isn't it? So are you glad tonight that you are God's gift to His Son? And that's why we should really live in the light of that. Paul says we're ambassadors for Christ. We should live in the light of the fact that God gave us to His Son as a gift, as a purchased possession, as part of His inheritance and all of those metaphors that you can use. And we should live in the light of that. And we should walk tall in Christ in the light of that, and conduct ourselves in the light of that, that we are God's gift to His Son. Therefore, we should live accordingly. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, who is sufficient for these things? Lord, whenever we read these scriptures, sometimes our minds can scarcely take it in. But we thank you that our hearts receive it by faith. Lord, would you help us to live in the light of it? Would you help us to see, Lord, that you paid an awesome, incredible price to save us? Even your own blood was given. Help us, Lord, for that penny to drop. The light would go on and we would realize that we are the purchased possession, that we belong to Christ, that we are His inheritance. So, Lord, we just want to stop and give you all of the glory and praise you and give you thanks, Father, for who you are and for giving us your Son. We bless you forever for all that you've done undeserving as we were. Lord, we had nothing, no merit, nothing to stand on. And yet, Lord, you looked across time and eternity and you saw us in your Son, saved, sanctified, holy, and righteous. Lord, we're eternally grateful. Thank you for this life in Christ. It's wonderful. Thank you for such salvation, so great salvation we bless you for the gift of eternal life. Lord, help us this week as we go out into the workplace to hold our heads high, knowing that we're children of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and knowing that in His mercy He saved us. And then looking at others, and Lord, feeling for them and knowing, Lord, that they too could be saved. They too could come into this wonderful knowledge of the truth. And help us to reach out in grace and compassion and touch them in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.